Welcome to Go West Young Podcast, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver, back in the bedroom studio for one day in between some awesome outdoor time here in Colorado. Hey, I saw my first moose in the wild this week, taking a dip in Sylvan Lake out near Eagle. All right, I am so excited about today's show. We have a timely, even an urgent conversation about the threat to Bristol Bay, Alaska from a proposed gold and copper mine. This is, oddly enough, an issue that has brought Donald Trump Jr. and Jane Fonda together in agreement. We will talk to the director of a new documentary about that mine threat, along with the executive director of the United Tribes of Bristol Bay. But first, a quick news update. If you've been listening to this podcast for a few years, you have heard literally hours of conversation about the Land and Water Conservation Fund and how important it is to America's conservation past and future. We have talked about the fights for short-term renewal and then long-term reauthorization and then the fight for permanent funding. And as of this week, those fights are over. After years of tireless work by conservation advocates, President Trump signed the Great American Outdoors Act, which provides full permanent funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund. It also provides billions of dollars to address the maintenance backlog in our national parks and public lands. It almost feels like an anticlimax to me after all these years, but it is hard to overstate how huge this reversal was by the Trump administration. Remember, President Trump spent three years trying to eviscerate LWCF. He zeroed it out in every single budget proposal of his until he suddenly flip-flopped this year and decided to support the Great American Outdoors Act. That the president would pull a 180 like this on any issue is remarkable, and it is a testament to how much support there is for our public lands across the West. You have heard me say it, you have heard pollsters say it, you've heard hunters and fishermen say it. Protecting parks and public lands is not a Democratic or Republican issue. It is a winning issue, full stop. So, does this victory change the legacy that President Trump and Interior Secretary David Bernhardt will leave the country? No, of course not. One bill signing cannot undo three years of nonstop assaults on endangered species, on our forests and rivers, nor will one bill reverse the nonstop giveaways to oil, gas, coal, and mining companies. Reversing all of that damage, if it's even possible, will take years. But this is one genuine, very large victory for America's public lands, and everyone who is rightfully taking a victory lap now that LWCF has permanent funding has a whole lot to celebrate. So, with this one moment of celebration, what's next? Well, let's talk about 30 by 30. That, of course, is the proposal to protect 30% of America's land and water by 2030. Head back in this feed for our conversation with Senator Tom Udall for more on the national effort there. But 30 by 30 will also take state by state action, and we could see that first in California. I'm joined by Lexi Grittelfeld from the California Outdoor Recreation Partnership to talk about a bill that is moving its way through the California legislature to do just that. It's called Assembly Bill 3030. It's a good name. Lexi, give us some background on this bill and who's behind it. Yeah, of course. Um, currently, we are partnering with the Outdoor Industry Association to support AB 3030. This is California's version of U.S. Senator Tom Udall's federal 30 by 30, as you mentioned. Um, but it takes a little bit of a different form in California. 
Uh, while it does protect at least 30% of our state's public lands and waters by the year 2030, the bill is authored by Assemblymember Ash Kalra, and he has worked with a um, grassroots advocacy group, basically in the Latinx um, community, and they're called Azul. And basically what um, Assemblymember Kalra did was include specific language in AB 3030 that acknowledges improving access to nature for all people in the state with a specific emphasis on increasing access for communities of color and economically disadvantaged communities. At CORP, one of our top three initiatives is equitable access. So our values particularly align with California's version of 30 by 30. It actually was heard in the state assembly on June 9th, and it's been now in the California State Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Water since late June. It was up to be heard on August 5th, but the Senate is under time constraints right now due to COVID-19 management. And now the bill has been scheduled to be heard next Wednesday, August 12. Uh, this means that we have more time to gain support for the bill, but the bill also has one less week to pass through the legislature. If it passes natural resources and water, it will need to pass the Appropriations Committee and the Senate floor by the end of the legislative session, and that is August 31st. So clock's ticking to make it through this session. Do you think that that's a possibility or just with COVID and everything being what it is, it, it, is it more likely that this ends up getting, getting bumped to a, a later session? I think that's definitely a possibility um, that it does get bumped to the next legislative session, given what's going on with COVID and how our legislature is focusing on COVID-19 um, le uh, legislation right now. And there isn't really much specific with COVID right now involved with this particular bill. Sure. Um, it, yeah. And given what we've seen in the past from our other bills, uh, typically when something's this late in the game, it's pretty hard to get it through the legislature, uh, but we are staying hopeful and we are still supporting it through this session. So before you go, uh, give us a quick rundown of what the California Outdoor Recreation Partnership does. Uh, this is your first time on the podcast, so so welcome and give us a sense of, of your organization. Yeah, of course. Uh, we're a 501c6 nonprofit organization. We were established to power a voice for the outdoor recreation industry to shape policy, support investments and engage an inclusive community of outdoor participants in California around the benefits of outdoor recreation. We're backed by over 75 outdoor recreation companies and nonprofit organizations. Um, in case you don't know, the California outdoor recreation economy is built upon and contributes $92 billion in consumer spending. It provides for 691,000 direct jobs and provides $6.2 billion back to our state and local tax revenue. All right, Lexi Grillfeld, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck next week, and we'll check back on California's 30 by 30 bill later this month. Awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron. Let's head to Alaska now, where there is a fight underway for the future of Bristol Bay and one of the most productive salmon ecosystems in North America. What's at stake is a proposed gold and copper mine in Bristol Bay and the disastrous possibilities if something goes wrong. A new documentary called The Wild does an incredible job explaining not just what's at risk, but why salmon are more than just fish or a fishery. They are life to Alaska natives and newcomers alike. I'm pleased to welcome the director of The Wild, Mark Titus, who's on the line from Seattle. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for having me. And we have the executive director of the United Tribes of Bristol Bay, Alana Hurley, joining us from Alaska. Good morning. Thanks for having me as well. Before we dive into the film, and why this proposed mine is such a threat. I want to start by asking Alana to give us an update on where things stand with the Pebble Mine proposal and the Trump administration right now. 
Sure. Well, you know, our region has been fighting this project for close to 20 years now, but as it stands today, we are on the precipice of a permit decision, um, a 404 permit decision that will really will be the fastest processed 404 permit for a project of the scale in the history of this country. Um, the final environmental impact statement was released just last month. Um, <laughs> it is fatally flawed and does not capture adequately capture the impacts of this project on Bristol Bay's world-renowned fisheries and our people. And the final EIS is going to be the basis for the permit decision, um, which cannot be made, you know, within 30 days from when the final EIS was released. So we can expect a potential rod or record of decision um, for this major federal permit for Pebble Mine within the next, as early as the next few weeks, um, which will really kind of be the beginning of how they move into state permitting and then eventually development if they're able to move that far. So we're at a critical time right now. And this record of decision that we're expecting, this is from the Army Corps of Engineers? Yes. And, and then also, what role does the EPA have to play at this point before things move into state permitting? So the EPA has oversight over the um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and they have the critical role and authority to determine whether or not this project and this permit should be issued. So the Environmental Protection Agency, you know, through the Clean Water Act, has the authority and the responsibility to veto this permit from being issued to the and they can do so proactively within the process, which would be right now, or retroactively after a permit decision was issued. Thank you for that overview of where things stand right now. I think that's going to be helpful for this this discussion about the film. And Mark, I watched it last night. It is incredibly moving. You bring in such a, a wide range of voices, but I was surprised that it is also a very personal film for you. It, it doesn't begin in Alaska. It begins with you checking yourself into rehab for alcohol addiction. Uh, how did you decide to, to weave that personal narrative into this story? Well, Aaron, um, it took some time. Um, I consulted with my wife, my family, uh, my sponsor, my uh, creative team. And ultimately, we took three months to to really sit on it and think about it. Um, but really it came because uh, the decision came because it was the truth. I mean, that's who I was when I was going up to Bristol Bay again to start filming this film. And um, I was 50 days into sobriety when I jumped onto a drift net fishing boat uh, with 12 cases of gear. Um, I was terrified that I might relapse, that I might freak out, like uh, not be able to handle it. I don't know. Just a lot of fear going into that. But something outside of me, and especially my wife, really pushed me to go. And it made all the difference, um, really, because, again, it's the truth. But also it makes for, I think, a more compelling story that anybody can access, uh, whatever, whatever walk of life you're in. Um, and then the, the, the final decision really came down to the intersection of what my alcoholic addict says, which is the same as what the Pebble Mine CEO is saying right now, 
and frankly, the same thing that we're saying as a society when we come up on decisions now about how we treat the earth moving forward, and that is, this time it'll be different. And in my case, uh, as a, um, a person that found my bottom and, um, and needed help because I was treating grief with uh, the only medicine I knew how, which was uh, alcohol, and it would have cost me my life. Um, and in this case with Bristol Bay, I, it is the last fully intact salmon system on this planet. And we don't have that luxury of saying this time it'll be different. And as you note, that is the, the mine mining company's line is trust us. There won't be any disasters, but even if there was a disaster, it wouldn't be that big as a disaster. Trust us here. Alana do you do you believe that? Do you do you buy that line, and why or why not? No, I don't believe it in any way, shape, or form. You know, after the last fifteen plus years of watching this company say and do anything, regardless of the truth, to try and push this project forward, uh, the people of Bristol Bay, you know, have seen this before. We've seen their empty promises. We've, you know, heard their lies. In the beginning, they said things as outrageous as we'll only put tailings in half the lake, uh, not the entire lake. And if we destroy the streams, then we'll just dig you new ones. Um, you know, we've we've been through the ringer with this company and we see them for who they are. So, you know, not only our history with them, but the history of the Bristol Bay Watershed Assessment, the facts and science that came out of that the extreme criticisms of the environmental impact statement to date from the scientific community, you know, the, the reality is the science and truth um, are on the side of protecting this place and stopping this project. Mark, talk us through your thought process. You're 50 days sober. You're getting on a fishing boat. You have, I presume, a limited number of shooting days budgeted. How do you put together a game plan for this documentary in your head in the midst of everything else that is going on for you personally. Right. There is, if you've been to Bristol Bay and I hope Aaron, if you haven't been yet, you get a chance to, um, in the future, you got to just show up there and things kind of magically happen. Things just happen. It's hard to really schedule things in advance in part because it's so remote and, um, cell phones don't always work. Uh, you don't always have great internet access Transportation is difficult with uh, inclement weather uh, at times, and you got to get on the ground and and actually get with people to um, know them and to uh, you know gain some semblance of trust with them. and And that was the case here. In this case, I I knew that I wanted to highlight at least four different five or four or five different folks on the ground in Bristol Bay that uh, center their lives around salmon. And uh, that's what I knew. And I had a, a rough idea about Alana and about um, Ole Olson, uh, but I didn't really know how the schedule was going to work out. It is the fishing season. Everything's off the table once fishing season starts. Alana can attest to that. And um, I just got there and had the faith that, that you know, something – bigger than me was going to push me along here. And it did. And the doors just opened. I literally ran into Ole Olson, my head into his chest in the Dillingham airport. <laughs> and he invited me to come out to 
um, Nushgak Point and his uh, family's place out there and to feed me and take care of me. And, you know, and uh, really that's, that's just kind of how it began and how it continued. And um, I met these incredible humans uh, from that point on and, and the story evolved. Alana, one of the points that I think Mark's film gets across very successfully is that salmon to Alaska natives are not just a way of life, but life itself. And I apologize if that's an oversimplification, but can can you elaborate on or explain that that difference of, of how salmon is so integrated into life for Alaska native peoples? Sure. Um, you know, I think there's a, I think Mark did an amazing job of, of really trying to convey that because I think it's hard for the everyday person who isn't familiar with Bristol Bay and isn't familiar with our people about what it really means and how it's so much more than food. You know, our, our people have been here since time immemorial and, and that's really what we're fighting to protect here is that, you know, salmon and our lands and waters are so central to our you know, physical, mental, and spiritual identity as Yupikdan and Anahuita peoples that it, without, you know, being able to harvest in the way that we do there, in the way that our people have for thousands of years, it would be, you know, devastating to, to our identity as Native people. So that's really what we're fighting so hard to protect is that, <clears throat> excuse me, connection um, to who we are and who we have been forever, which is salmon people. This is a policy podcast, so I would be remiss if we did not dive into the nuts and bolts of this policy. And I do appreciate uh, that the documentary does such a great job bouncing back and forth between what it means and specifically what is being proposed with this mine. So, Mark, give us a sense of uh what the pebble mine would be, how close it is to the waters of the bay and the salmon runs, and what would be left behind once the mine is shut down. Right. Well, uh, the folks at Pebble make a, a fair amount of noise about the mine site being 110 miles or so from Bristol Bay itself, and that's up upriver. Um and that's a really important point because it is upriver and it's also at elevation. And as we know, uh, the basic laws of physics dictate that gravity pulls things downhill. So everything from the point downhill of where the pebble mine would be located is rich water connected salmon territory. So the Proximity to the saltwater itself is really not a relevant point. What is important is that it's at the headwaters of the spawning grounds of all five species of Pacific salmon that spawn in Bristol Bay uh, and the, the environs around the, uh, uh, the watersheds. Um, but most importantly is the sockeye. The sockeye who have had record years over the last six years, we've seen over 300 million fish return to Bristol Bay. That's just sockeye. And for those who are in the lower 48 in the Northwest and other areas that are familiar with salmon runs, that's a staggering number. That's, uh, that's more than the Columbia river system back in its heyday. It is perfect the way that it is with its ecosystem intact. And so what Pebble is proposing is putting and excavating a mine that if fully developed 
and it's really important to note this, that it needs to be fully developed in order to be actually feasible. Uh, because otherwise, in its current form... The phase one proposal. Its, the, that's correct. The, the current mine proposal is a, quote unquote, smaller mine that uh, is supposed to, its optics are supposed to designate that it's somehow less invasive and less destructive to the environment. Um, that is categorically untrue. It would still be the size of Los Angeles, Air, the LAX, smack down in the middle of the wilderness. Um, but if and when it was ex, uh, exploited to uh, its full capacity, it would be the depth of the Grand Canyon, and you'd have to fill up 3,900 football stadiums full of toxic effluent and hold that effluent forever. Um, and the reason is it's a low-grade uh, porous sulfur mine that uh, means that the there's a lot of ore body there, but it's not rich. It's, um, it's low-grade. So it, a lot of material has to be filtered out in order to get the copper and gold and molybdenum. So this material would have to be removed and stored behind an earthen dam. And earthen means just like it sounds. It's made of dirt that would be as tall as the Space Needle in a seismic zone forever. And just trust that this earthen dam is never going to burst or that this mining company, even after the mine shuts down, would fix it? Or is, is that taxpayers, Alaska Native people, if they want this pile of waste to sit there, it's on them at that point? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I can't say as a... Um, a filmmaker, a storyteller uh, in in Seattle, uh, that uh, this dam is categorically going to fail, or this system will fail. Any more than the folks at Pebble can say that it uh, won't fail. But what I can tell you is that I've witnessed here in Seattle, where I grew up, as a fisherman. Um, the destructive nature of a thousand cuts. Here, we've straightened our rivers, we've dammed, we've logged, we've ranched, we've mined throughout salmon country. And every single time that's happened, salmon have gone by the wayside, they've disappeared. And what we're left here with is a life support system, an addiction, if you will, to hatchery salmon. Without them, we wouldn't have any salmon at all. And I can't bear the thought of that happening in Bristol Bay, which is, again, the last fully intact wild salmon system on Earth. <clears throat> Attached with that is the last fully intact salmon culture with Alana and her folks on Earth as well. Alana, tell us about United Tribes of Bristol Bay then and how your organization fits into this fight. Sure. So United Tribes of Bristol Bay is a tribal consortium of 15 tribal governments from throughout the Bristol Bay region. And our tribal membership, um, you know, that we represent equals about over 80% of the actual population of Bristol Bay. The people who have the most to lose will be most impacted by this project. Um, <clears throat> the people that will be stuck with the ramifications of 10 billion tons of toxic waste stored at the headwaters of our entire watershed. Um, and we, you know, our, our mission is very simple and that's to protect the Yupik Dena'ina and Aluta way of life 
in Bristol Bay for future generations to come. Um, and that's a mission we take very, very seriously. You know, our tribes have been in this fight for almost 20 years now. Um, and so, you know, we do everything we can to ensure that tribal voices are reaching decision makers and influencing public policy. Um, we're just doing everything we can to make sure that our people are represented in this fight and, and being considered in these huge decisions that are going to be impacting our people. So that brings us to where we are this week with a, a 30 day deadline looming on this record of decision. And then all of a sudden it there is some unrest or perhaps uncertainty in Trump land where first week of August Donald Trump Jr. jumps into the conversation tweeting about his opposition to Pebble Mine. Uh, first of all, to either of you, were you surprised to see that? And what's your read on the potential impact there? Is, is Are we seriously in a world where Don Jr. could be the one who ends up flipping the Trump administration on this? Well, I'll jump in quickly on that. And then, Alana, I'm sure you've got plenty to say as well. But um, important to note that, you know, in the case of people like me or uh, Donald Trump Jr. or anybody that is um, welcome here at the table at the 11th hour, the it's important to remember and note the people that are the people of Bristol Bay that have been working for this for two decades uh, fighting for this for their very survival and the people of Alaska, um, all the coalition that's been working with Save Bristol Bay and Defend Bristol Bay all these years. But it is ironic and interesting that um, the very uh, a, a, an interior member of the very administration that appeared to give Pebble the lift under its wings could in fact be a glimmer of hope and perhaps even a, a mechanism to undo what's been done with the permit process to this point. Um, we don't know for sure, but it is encouraging. And, uh, you know, when you see something like the treat, uh, the tweet from, uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. on the 5th of August saying, you think you're shocked. I'd never thought I'd be in agreement with Hanoi Jane as he <laughs> winkingly yeah. calls it to Jane Fonda's tweet, which said, I never thought I'd be in agreement with VP Pence's former chief of staff, but I stand with Nick Ayers and Donald Trump Jr. on this. I don't know about you, but I mean, my head about exploded when I saw that. Sure. I mean, you, couldn't, you couldn't have more polar, opposite sociopolitical figures in agreement on something. And that's what we find. And that is exactly why we made the film in the way that we did is it needs to be able to be digested by anybody. The fish don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. The land doesn't care. The land and the fish just want to persist so they can keep doing what they've done, which is regenerate for future generations. So when you see sportsmen like Don Jr. come out, we applaud that. I'm a sportsman myself. I don't care whether you're a Republican or Democrat at all. I care about what's in your heart and what you want to leave behind for future generations. Alana? Yeah, the only thing I'll add is, um, you know, just really quickly, the, there isn't necessarily a deadline on the record of decision. They just can't make the decision within the 30 days um, from the time the final EIS was released. So just wanted to make that quick clarification point. 
Um, Thank you. I was equally shocked to see Don Jr.'s um, tweet, but at the same time, very um, appreciative because this just proves that Bristol Bay is really valuable to the entire nation. Um, similar to what Mark said, this is both sides of the political divide agreeing on something, which, you know, we had Barack Obama call Bristol Bay a national treasure when he visited it, <laughs> excuse me, during his second term in, uh, in the presidency. And now Don Jr. agreeing that this place deserves per- to be protected, you know, something that our people have known all along. But if you look at the history of this issue, this has been a bipartisan issue for quite some time. Every single time this goes to Alaskan voters, um, the voters vote in favor of protecting Bristol Bay. Current polling numbers show that 62% of Alaskans don't support this project, which in terms of development in Alaska, to have those kind of numbers is almost unheard of, especially sustained over this period of time. Um, Senator Murkowski passed a congressional directive um, with a budget amendment last year, you know, that stated that the Army Corps needed to do a better job, which of course they ignored when we saw the final EIS. But this, this just proves that no matter what side of the political divide you're on, there's one thing we can agree on, and that that is that Bristol Bay deserves to be protected from threats like the Pebble Mine, and it should be stopped. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the cavalcade of celebrities who show up in Mark's film. Mark Harmon, Tom Colicchio, Tom Douglas, who is a household name in Seattle food circles at the very least, Adrian Grenier. Um, it, those are they're wonderful voices and obviously all very effective advocates. But Alana, I want to I want your take on how do we make sure that those voices that get folks attention are also balanced with indigenous voices that are most threatened by this? How, how do we make sure that indigenous voices also get elevated in this conversation? You know, I think that's an excellent question. And I think Mark did an amazing job in this film, making sure that indigenous voices are being amplified and being empowered in these circles. Um, you know, I think movements like this, you, you look at the base of it and this is really about human rights for us, our right to clean water, our right to our cultures, our right to continue to be Native people. And when we have such amazing allies who are willing to stand with us, um, that's, you know, really, I think the goal is to be standing with Indigenous people in fights like this, with the people of that land. Um, and I think, you know, Mark has done an amazing job because he has, he's been here, he has met us, and he, um really values our voice in this fight and and make sure that we are included, you know, even in things like today to make sure that the indigenous people are being heard. So Mark, you just had a virtual screening of the wild earlier this week, obviously in-person screenings are not happening this summer. How did this virtual screening go? What kind of attention is the film getting and, and what's next for the documentary? Well, I think the screening went uh, fantastic. Um, we had over 1,200 folks from all across the country show up, and they found their ways in through various means, through food organizations, through environmental organizations, through friends and family, through sport fishing groups like Trout Unlimited and Patagonia Fly Fishing. Um, and, you know, we'll take all comers. Uh, right now, um, there's a lot of noise, and uh, rightly so, 
in the world with, you know, in the time of COVID and in the time of Black Lives Matter and um, news cycles happen every day, but Bristol Bay can be forever if we give it the chance. And in a, in a world that has so much unrest and in a, in a time where it, things are so disjointed and, um, you know, out of balance, uh, it, it gives me great comfort to know Bristol Bay is still there and those salmon keep coming back. So uh, glad to have everybody at the table last night. We're going to have another event, uh, TBD, uh, in the month of August. We're scrambling to get that date together today. Um, but any kind of information on how to take action or uh, when that screening event will be announced uh, sometime next week, people can get um, – at our uh, sister brand's website, which is avaswild.com. And that's the word save spelled backwards, wild.com. And uh, we have all the action items folks can take right there and all the uh, screening updates in one place. And we'll have links to all of those in the show notes right now. Uh, Alana, what is next for United Tribes? What is the best way for folks to get involved right now uh, while there is a very urgent need and the possibility of action uh, within the next few weeks? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, what's next for us is to continue this fight. Um, we are, you know, we have committed from the beginning to do whatever it takes to, to protect our home. You know, today there's going to be a big Twitter storm. You can check out um, our Facebook page, United Tribes of Bristol Bay's Facebook page or our website. You can um, also on there find take action letters asking the EPA and our congressional delegation to, <laughs> excuse me, hold the government accountable and, and really, really push the EPA to veto this project. Um, as you know, has been discussed, it is such a critical time for us. If you, you know, Ever, if there was ever a time to help the people of Bristol Bay and help stop Pebble Mine, the time is now. And you can find all of that information on our website, United Tribes of Bristol Bay, um, utdb.org. Um, and we would be so appreciative if people would use their voice during this critical time. Yeah, I can't emphasize that uh, enough either. Um, we are in a urgent critical time, uh, in this, uh, in this battle. And, uh, folks, if you are on Twitter, please tweet at the president uh, respectfully and let him know what you think about Bristol Bay and the people there and their voices being heard. It really does make a difference and we need to do it, uh, often and many, many times here, uh, in the coming days. Mark, I want to give you the last word since you, we started by talking about how this was, a personal film for you. You talk about your personal struggle with alcohol addiction. What would it mean to you if you were able to put a postscript on this film saying that Bristol Bay has been saved, at least for now? Well, obviously, my heart is in Bristol Bay forever. I've spent the last 10 years of my life working on uh, this story in one way or another. And uh, so it would be very, very meaningful to, um, to know that at least for the time being, the people of Bristol Bay uh, can breathe a little easier and, uh, and that I can keep going and, and fishing there and, and uh, enjoying this one wild, completely intact place that we have. Um, but you, you bring up a really good point. That's a, it's an ephemeral 
moment because um, the, the it's a big deal right now. It would be a massive deal if we could have a stay in the progress of the pebble mine. But that ore body's not going anywhere. And so we have to always be vigilant about Bristol Bay and about places like Bristol Bay, these wild, precious places that entire ecosystems and people depend on. So um, it will clearly bring me a, a tremendous amount of joy and satisfaction if um, Bristol Bay is protected. And it will also continue to light the fires to, to do the work. We're going to leave it there. Mark Titus is the director of The Wild about the fight to stop the pebble mine. Alana Hurley is the executive director of the United Tribes of Bristol Bay. Thank you both so much for taking the time. We've got links to all of your organizations and the film in the show notes. Thank you again. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks. And that'll do it for this episode of Go West Young Podcast. I just want to tie all this together. Mark's last point there about the threat to Bristol Bay still existing, even if the current mine proposal dies. The copper and gold deposits, as he says, aren't going anywhere. And that is why permanent land protection is so important to the country and the world. We cannot protect ecosystems. We cannot stop climate change if places like Bristol Bay are always at risk. So putting 30 by 30 into action, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode in California, means starting with places like Bristol Bay, making sure that our most fragile and successful ecosystems can thrive for perpetuity. And that is simply impossible if disaster is always one earthen dam away for perpetuity. Thanks again to Lexi Griddlefeld, Mark Titus, Alana Hurley, I'm Aaron Weiss, heading back into the woods for a week or so. On behalf of the entire team at Center for Western Priorities, thanks for listening. You know, in addition to pressuring the EPA, President Trump is weighing this right now after Don Jr.'s tweet. So anything we can do to pressure the president as well to make the right decision here um, and, and stop Pebble would be extremely helpful in the very near term. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's I've, I've been told by some um, people behind the scenes that the, 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 his ear is open right now and uh, it is super, super important for folks to respectfully uh, weigh in about how important they believe Bristol Bay is to them, to the president himself. And tweeting is clearly the most <laughs> direct way to do that.